Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. But this morning, I want us to continue looking at the book of Acts. And, and, and what we're seeing today, I think, is more personal than what we've seen before. I mean, this series in the book of Acts has been helpful from the standpoint that it's showing us not just what happened, but what should be happening. I mean, we look at the book of Acts, and it's a narrative, and from a certain standpoint, we can look at it, and we can say, you know what, it's interesting to learn about the history of the church. But what I want us to be sure we understand is that this is more than just history, that the book of Acts is not just here to show us what happened, but it is here as a guide to show us what should be happening. So when we look at the book of Acts and we see their focus, we learn what our focus should be. And when we see the mistakes that they made, we know to avoid those mistakes. And when we see their growth, we see what contributed to that. And so we learn what we should be focused on. So this is very practical, very relevant, very needed for us. The passage this morning, though, I want to look at and focus on a very personal level. You see the title on the back of your bulletin where we have our outline. The title is Spirit-Led Evangelism. Spirit-led evangelism. And what I want to do is kind of bust up some myths about evangelism. I think there are some things in relation to evangelism that we think, maybe we've been taught to think a certain way that I don't think are exactly accurate. And as we go through the message this morning, we're going to address some of those. But evangelism as a foundation, evangelism is far more than a church program. Evangelism is far more than an event. Evangelism is more than just an exercise that we challenge people to be involved in. Evangelism, according to Scripture and according to this passage, has some key components that are needed. And so if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I'm intrigued by this concept of evangelism. I, I like the idea of evangelism. I wish I were more effective in my evangelism which hopefully you would look at that and you say, yes, that's me, then you have to understand the truths from our text that Pastor Jason just read to us a little bit ago. Because these truths about evangelism, I think, completely reshape our understanding. And when our understanding is reshaped, our practice changes. I think that is important. I think that is necessary. If you're taking notes, I just want to walk through this passage. We're going to, I'm going to show you several points from this, things that we have to understand about evangelism. Number one, I want you to realize the sovereign work of the Spirit. The sovereign work of the Spirit. Notice verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. We have to understand that when it comes to evangelism, there is a spiritual component. When it comes to evangelism, there is a work, a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. When we look at this text and we just read that one verse, we see that God, an angel of the Lord, came to Philip and said, go here, go to this place, go down this path. Why? Well, there was something that the Spirit of God understood that Philip did not understand. 
The Spirit of the Lord understood that if he went down this path and he went to this place, that he would end up seeing an individual who needed Jesus Christ. Philip didn't understand. He did not know that there would be an individual looking for Christ. He did not know that there was an individual who needed to be evangelized. He did not know the situation. See, when we come to the topic of evangelism, we have to understand that there is an aspect of evangelism that is led and controlled by the Spirit of God. In this text this morning, the circumstances that led to the eunuch salvation were sovereignly and specifically arranged by the Spirit of God. The encounter that Pastor Jason read about, that we heard about, it was no chance encounter. It was not the result of clever human ingenuity. It was not a meeting set by man. It was not the result of a program or the result of an event. It was the result of the Spirit of God leading and guiding an individual to someone who needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. What you and I have to understand is that there are people in our lives today who need Christ. And I think we understand that aspect of it. What we may fail to understand is that the Spirit of God will work in your heart and it will work in your life and will lead and guide you to bring those people into your path. But if we simply sit back and think that evangelism is a man-centered activity, then we will neglect the truth that there is a God-centered component. Yes, we share Christ. But many times we fail to see opportunities to share Christ because we do not even understand that God has brought people into our lives. We, we fail to understand that God has led us to people who need him. And so instead of viewing all encounters and all relationships and all circumstances from the perspective of saying, how is God bringing this individual into my life? We miss those opportunities and thus miss chances to tell people about the love of Jesus. So when we're thinking about evangelism, if we are serious as individuals, as families, as a church, about being more committed to evangelism, seeing more people saved, more people baptized, we have to begin with the understanding that says there is a God component to evangelism. It is not just about me and it is not just about you. God leads and God guides and we have to understand the sovereign work of of the Spirit of God when it comes to evangelism. Here's what happens. When we understand that there is a sovereign component, a a sovereign work of the Spirit of God in relation to evangelism, all of a sudden we become far more in tune and aware of the encounter. So that person that comes across your path tomorrow, it is not an accident. It may be that God brought that person into your life and across your path for the very specific purpose of you telling them about the love of Jesus Christ. It's not a chance encounter. It's not something you orchestrated. Those times when it seems that your schedule is disrupted, ever happen? And you're frustrated. Maybe your schedule was disrupted so that other people could come into your life at that precise moment. And God knew that you have the message of Christ and they need the message of Christ. And if I bring these two people together, then this individual can tell this individual about the love of Jesus Christ. Never ignore the reality of the sovereign work of the Spirit in evangelism. In fact, don't just ignore it. Be looking for it. Be aware that God may want to use you in the life of other people. See, I'm afraid in many churches, evangelism has become more about what we do and what we arrange and what we schedule than what God has orchestrated. 
See, rather than building a huge evangelistic program or a huge evangelistic event, a better method and a better model is for you and I just to understand that God is already working and he wants to use me and he wants to use you. And so we need to be aware, willing, and ready, which leads us into our second point this morning. Number two, we need to model the submissive will of Philip. Model the submissive will of Philip. Look at Verse 27. So in verse 26, the, the angel of the Lord tells him to get up and go. And look at the first phrase of verse 27. So he got up and went. That's obedience, right? Get up and go. What did he do? Got up and went. Just simple. But in that act, he trusted the leading of God. He trusted the spirit of God. He modeled obedience and he modeled submission. So here's the danger. If we are aware, which we now are, that the Spirit of God works sovereignly to bring people into our lives so that we can tell them about the love of Jesus, if we are aware that God does this, as he did in Acts chapter 8, now you and I have a responsibility. So now as these people come into our lives and as God orchestrates these meetings, as he will do in your life, you now have a responsibility to decide how will I respond. I mean, Philip's response was obedience and submission. I trust what God is doing. I trust that this is no accident. I trust that this is not meaningless. I trust that God will use me in this situation to further the gospel and to further his kingdom. You have to be willing to submit to the leading of God, which means whenever you have that chance encounter and God is speaking to your heart, tell them about Jesus. You need to submit and obey and tell them about Jesus. Are you scared of doing that? Are you afraid? See, one of the challenges we have is that we misunderstand what evangelism is. We confuse evangelism with the results of evangelism. Let me explain. Sometimes we think that evangelism is seeing someone saved, or we think that if I present Jesus and someone rejects the message of Jesus, then I failed. What we have to understand is there is a difference between evangelism and the result of evangelism. Evangelism is simply sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that some plant and some water, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. See, what you and I are responsible to do is to be faithful in, in viewing those encounters as opportunities to share Jesus. We share the love of Jesus. We tell people who Christ was, what he has done, but then we simply trust the Spirit of God to use that in their life. At that moment, that individual then has a decision to make, and you and I are not responsible for the decision that they make. Evangelism is not about you, and it is not about me. It is about their relationship with Christ, and we simply show them who Christ is and what Christ has done. And one of the things, I, I said this in the early service this morning, one of the things that it was the biggest comfort for me in growing up and, and, and learning this truth was that I am not a failure when someone rejects the message of Christ. God does not hold me responsible for someone else's response to the gospel. What God holds you responsible and what God holds me responsible is to be faithful in our witness, faithful in our testimony, and faithful to point people to who Jesus is and what he has done for them. If I am faithful to that task, then I have been faithful to the task of evangelism. 
And if you are faithful simply to take advantage of opportunities to tell people about Jesus, then you are successful in evangelism. Regardless of how people respond, your job is to tell people about the love of Christ. Another misconception we have is this. Understand that evangelism is not inviting someone to church. Not that that's bad. Please do that. But evangelism is more than inviting someone to your church so that the church or the pastor can tell them about Jesus. Personal evangelism is you personally telling someone else about Jesus Christ. Yes, invite people. But don't think that just because you invited someone to church last week that you're off the hook for evangelism. You have a responsibility to tell people about the love of Jesus, and that requires that we model the submissive will of spirit. See, when we're not controlled by the Spirit of God, we are not going to be willing to follow the leading of the Spirit of God, and we're not going to recognize those encounters. Number three, recognize when others are searching. Recognize when others are searching. Look at verse 27. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. Let's pause there. Now, when Pastor Jason read this text earlier, we saw that it was later on that Philip actually gave his life to Jesus, confessed his faith in Jesus, and was baptized. But here, it still says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. How could he come to worship when he did not yet know Jesus. I mean, how is it that he could say, I have come here to worship, but yet not even know or have a relationship with the God he is claiming to worship? Well, I think this points to the fact that this is an individual who was seeking to worship. His search of worship and his desire to worship had led him to Jerusalem. Maybe he had heard about the the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. Maybe he had heard of how God had worked in the life of Israel in the Old Testament. He's wanting this. He's wanting to know this God. This was a man who had great power and great position and great wealth, who took this journey to fill a void. He, He took this journey to find something that was missing in his life. This was an individual who was searching for and calling for and seeking out God, but yet did not know how to actually have a relationship with this God. He was longing for something, but wasn't quite sure how to get it. He was searching. So you and I have to understand that there are people in our lives who are searching. I remember several years ago, I had... For about six weeks in a row, I met with an individual who claimed that he was an atheist. And we had lunch every once a week for about six, maybe seven weeks. And while he claimed to be an atheist and claimed that he did not believe in God, my, my goal in talking with him was simply to listen and hopefully help him realize some of the, the weaknesses in his own line of thinking. And so one of the things that he said in our first meeting was, I asked him, why are you an atheist? I wanted him to be able to tell me and explain why. If someone claims that, hopefully they can support it. And he said, well, for a while I went to this church, and I just didn't find what I was looking for. And then I tried this religion, and I didn't find what I was looking for. And I actually traveled overseas one time and, and, and studied and investigated this belief system, and it wasn't what I was looking for. And he went through and named about four or five different things that he went out studying and was in search of trying to find this religion, this belief system that fit. 
And I asked him, well, what do you think led you to keep searching? What is it that you think that kept leading you to, to find this religion? He said, well, quite honestly, there was just this emptiness inside of me, and I just felt like I had to find something to fill that void. And I said, well, what do you think that void is? And he couldn't answer. See, I think God has created everyone with the desire to worship something. And obviously, God is to be the object of that worship. Many people do not know that, and so they go searching, looking for something to worship. And there are people where you work right now and in your neighborhood right now who, that you may not even realize it, and they may not even realize it, but they are searching for something to fill a void. And when you recognize that someone is searching, understand that that is an opportunity to point them to the one and only thing, the one and only person that can actually fill that void of what they're looking for. That is the opportunity for you to step in and say, you know what, I, 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 I realize you're searching for something, you're looking for something, you're longing for something, you have this void within you. Let me tell you what I have found that has satisfied that desire and satisfied that craving that satisfied that desire to worship, and it's an opportunity for you. But we have to understand that people are searching. Understand that there are people in your life that are desiring to worship, and many times they are religious. But what the Ethiopian eunuch found out, that it was not religion that would provide salvation, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Religion will lead people straight to hell, even if it's a good religion. If you are following the Baptist religion, belief system, but yet you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no eternal hope. It is only a relationship with Jesus Christ that can bring salvation and eternal life. And that is the message that many people need to hear. And they're searching for something. You and I have that responsibility to tell them. Number four, if you want to be more committed to evangelism, more effective in evangelism, so to speak, number four, rely on the power of Scripture. We read in verse 28 through verse 35 that this eunuch was in his chariot. He's on his way home. He is reading the prophet Isaiah, which again is a reminder. There are some people who read the Bible who still need Jesus. Right? There are people who read the Bible, know the Bible, can quote the Bible, but they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Never assume because you see someone reading a Bible that they automatically know the God of the Bible. He was sitting in this chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit, again, he's, he's modeling this obedience to the spirit. Go up and join him in the chariot. Philip runs up, verse 30. He hears them reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? But what I want you to notice very specifically, starting down in verse 34, the eunuch has a question. I ask you, who is the prophet saying about this about himself or another person? Verse 35 is key. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. There's two things that we understand. When it came to evangelism, Philip didn't see him reading the prophet Isaiah and say, well, let's put the Bible up. Let me tell you a story. He says, no, that what you need is found in Scripture. You're at the right place. But the second thing he did is he took that Scripture and he went directly to Jesus. 
He went directly to the person of Jesus Christ, telling him who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the co-creator of the universe. What did Jesus do? He is the Redeemer. He died on the cross to make salvation and forgiveness possible because we understand without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. This is the message that this eunuch needed to hear. He needed to hear about Jesus Christ. He needed to hear the message of who Christ was and what Christ had done. And what is interesting about this, the way this is worded indicates that Philip began with that passage in Isaiah and continued walking through the Old Testament, teaching him about Jesus from the Old Testament. You know what that tells us? All of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. All of Scripture leads to the person of Christ. The Old Testament law, all 613 commands, were designed to show people that you cannot be good enough, that there has to be something outside of you that leads to salvation. You have the temple and the tabernacle indicating the presence of God. You have these passages in Isaiah, such as the eunuch was reading, kind of foretelling about the Messiah, all leading to the person of Jesus Christ. Understand this. The people in your life that God has brought into your life and these encounters that the Spirit of God leads and orchestrates and as you meet people who are searching, never forget this. You will not save them with your ingenuity. You will not save them with your ability to argue. You will not save them with your ability to quote whatever it is you can quote. What will save them is the power of God and Jesus Christ. What will save them is the power of God's word and them understanding who Christ is and what Christ has done, which means if that is what they need, then that is what we present. We do so lovingly, we do so graciously, but we do so boldly. Rely on Scripture, trust in Scripture. Christ is the only source of hope, the only source of forgiveness, the only source of eternal life, the only source of salvation. So when you're talking with people, by all means, Tell them about Jesus. He is the only hope. Number five, let me mention this and we'll close. Understand what a proper response contains. Starting in verse 36 down through verse 40, if you look at these verses, it's pretty interesting. Starting in verse 36, notice what it says. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. It's an interesting response in my mind. (laughs) What would keep me from being baptized? Now, This is not the point of this text, but a couple side notes here of why we do what we do the way that we do it. There are some belief systems that teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. We do not believe that to be the case. One of the reasons is this passage. He asked the question, what would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So so what was the prerequisite for baptism? Belief. Philip is saying, if you want to be baptized, you can, but the thing that you need to do before you're baptized is be sure that you actually trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You keep reading verse 37. We read verse 37. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he confessed his faith and his trust and his belief in Jesus Christ as God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. And when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of God carried Philip away. Pause here for a second. Another reason why we believe in immersion as baptism instead of sprinkling or pouring is this. This is one of the many texts, but they went down into the water, and they came back up out of 
the water. Again, that's not the point of this text, but I want you to understand there is a biblical foundation, a biblical basis for why we do what we do and why we believe what we believe. But I want in this, what I want you to see is the three different kind of responses to the message of the gospel. Here's the first one, faith. You see it in verse 36, what would keep me from being baptized? Verse 37, believe with all your heart. We also see then at the end of verse 37, he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In order for there to be true salvation, in order for there to be true conversion, there has to be a belief of faith, a trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. You cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot have salvation and at the exact same time reject the person of Jesus Christ. Because when you reject God the Son, you also reject God the Father. They cannot be separated. There has to be faith and belief and trust in who Christ is and what Christ has done. B is obedience. This obedience, several aspects of it. One of it is repentance. When we understand what God says about something, repentance is agreeing with God about it and making the change in our life so that we can live in obedience to God. So many times people are saved and they have things in their life, sins in their life, and they, they, they give their life to Christ. They understand what God says. They repent of that sin. They agree with God about it. They make a complete turn and they go in the opposite direction. Instead of pursuing their sin, they pursue God. That's one aspect of the obedience. But the other obedience is baptism. Baptism is referred to as the first step of obedience. It's not necessary for salvation, but it is a way for us to publicly proclaim what Christ has done inside of us. We have been transformed by the power of God. We have been changed by the power of God to the point where we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. The all things, all, all things have become new. There is this transformation that has taken place in our heart. Baptism is how we publicly tell the world, I belong to Jesus Christ. And while baptism does not save you, those who are saved should be baptized to publicly and unapologetically and boldly say, I belong to Jesus and I want everyone to know it. And then the third response is rejoicing. Look at verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Why? I mean, why is there rejoicing? Why is that part of the response of salvation? Well, quite honestly, it's simple. We are dead in our trespasses and sin, have nothing to look forward to but the wrath of God and eternity in hell. We are saved. All of that changes to now we have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. We have an eternity with God to look forward to in heaven. Is that reason to rejoice? And some of you have forgot about the joy of that, Right? I mean, sometimes we can be saved so long that we forget where we were and what we were and where we were headed, and we lose sight of what God has done and what that means for our eternal destiny. So instead of all of eternity being spent in hell, you now, with, because of Christ, can spend all eternity with God in heaven. Is that reason to rejoice? A little more enthusiasm. Is that a reason to rejoice? Amen. Amen. Listen, we have to be the type of people that understand what we were and who we are now. We have to understand what our eternal destiny was and what our eternal destiny is now. We have to understand what we deserved from God then and what we have received from God now. And because of those realities, there should be joy in your life and occasionally on your face. 
There you go. There should be some joy to where it is clear to people who run across you, there's been a change, there's something different. See, the reality is, this evangelism that we're talking about, this presenting the gospel, when someone responds, they're going to respond in faith, and they're going to respond with obedience, and they're going to respond with rejoicing, because they understand the change that has taken place in their heart and in their life. But here's what I want to leave you with this morning. If I can kind of summarize all of this up for us. Here's the danger. The danger is to sit back and to say, you know what, our church has a great evangelism program, or we have that event that we do every year, and it's great for evangelism. Check. What I want you to understand this morning is two things. One, evangelism is a personal responsibility. And when you take that personal responsibility seriously, you understand the sovereign work of the Spirit, and you understand the need to submit to the leading and the guiding of the Spirit, and you rely on Scripture, and you point people to Jesus, and you, you do all of these things with the goal of saying, I want to be faithful simply to tell other people about God. I want other people to know who Jesus is and what he has done, and I'm not responsible for how they respond. I'm simply responsible that I am faithful to tell. That is evangelism. And Some of you need to take that responsibility a little more seriously and understand that this next week, God may bring someone across your path that you need to realize God is orchestrating this. This is not a chance circumstance, and so I will be submissive, and I will look for an opportunity and take the opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus. If they reject it, they reject it, but I've been faithful. And maybe, just maybe, they will see their need for a Savior and they'll confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. That is a personal responsibility. It's my responsibility and it's your responsibility. The second thing I think we have to do with this is kind of coming alongside understanding our personal responsibility and being willing to do that is at the exact same time praying and looking for those opportunities. See, it's one thing to sit back and say, you know what, if, I'm, if I ever get an opportunity, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, and then close your eyes. I hope I don't get any opportunities. I, I'm a little scared of this. What we have to do is both be willing and say, God, bring me opportunities and help me to realize them. God, help me to see how you are leading and how you are guiding. See, far better than having a church with a great evangelistic event every year or several evangelistic events is to have a church where all the people in the church understand that God is leading and guiding and he has equipped them and he is bringing people into their lives so that they have the opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus. And if you and I will take that responsibility seriously, we will pray for opportunities and if we will be willing to submit and simply tell people about the love of Jesus, it will revolutionize our church. It will change our church. But it's got to be something that you do, and it's got to be something that I do. And so this morning, that's the challenge. Be willing to be involved in evangelism personally. And are we still going to have evangelistic events? Absolutely. But when we are doing that and we're all individually living these evangelistic lives, God uses that in a powerful way. And so that's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. Will you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And we're going to sing a song. And if God is speaking to your heart this morning, where you are, I just want you to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for how you've guided us, how you've how you teach us, 
how you challenge us through your word. God, I pray that you would help us each and every day to be responsive to how you are leading and how you are guiding, that we would submit, that we would take advantage of those opportunities to tell people about who you are and what you have done for them through the person of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us as we have this time of invitation to pray for those already in our lives who may be searching. Help us to pray that, God, you would help us to recognize the opportunities we have to lovingly and graciously both demonstrate the love of Christ and tell them about the work of Christ. God, speak to our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.